Read from Luke chapter 13, verses 10 through 17. Now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, and behold, there was a woman who had a spirit of infirmity 18 years, and was bent over, and could in no way raise herself up. But when Jesus saw her, he called her to him and said to her, Woman, you are loosed from your infirmity. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation, because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. And he said to the crowd, There are six days on which men ought to work. Therefore, come and be healed on them, and not on the Sabbath day. The Lord then answered him and said, Hypocrite. Does not each one of you on the Sabbath lose his ox or donkey from the stall and lead it away to water it? So ought not this woman, being the daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound. Think of it. For 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath. And when he had said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame. And all the multitude rejoiced for all the glorious things that were done by him. This is the word of God for the people of God. God. Amen. You may be seated. Well, if you're on Facebook today, you'll see that I pulled up an old post and put it up of me in a hat. Yeah, a pirate hat, I think. I think it was at some store. I tried it on, took a picture, and posted it. I like hats. I think many of you know this. I think I've told you this before. But, but I don't wear them very often, and I don't wear many. As much as I like hats, I more like hat pictures. The sillier, the better. The more memorable, I like it. I don't know why, but I think it's because I've had such a good time with hats over the years and making funny faces that I just like it. But i got to ask you something. When, when you talk about a role that you play or you live in your life, do you call it like all the hats you wear? Don't we wear different hats in different situations? Parents, uh, friends, worker, um, all the different hats. So, so you all wear hats too. You just may not wear them in such a way that you can take a picture and see it. So how many hats do you have? And I don't mean in your closet. I mean that you roles that you go throughout in a given week or two. Some of us are children. Some of us are parents. Some of us are um, some of us are grandchildren. I heard someone say that. Um, some of us are encouragers. Each hat puts us in a different role, doesn't it? You're not going to act the same way at work that you would act with your spouse or with a friend. That'd be kind of weird, wouldn't it? If you wore the same hat and your friend says, hey, let's go to the store. Yes, sir, let's go. I'm Do whatever you say. You're the boss. It'd be kind of a weird conversation, wouldn't it? And I promise you, you do not want to wear your parent hat when you're speaking to your employer. 
Oh, no, I'm not going to do it that way. You just don't understand. You, you need to shape up. You can't talk to your boss like that. If you do, you're going to be looking for a new boss pretty quick. <laughs> Unless you're self-employed. But how do you know when you take the certain hat off, what's beneath it? Is there a something that's still there when you're not wearing any of those hats? What's left when you take all the hats off? Is there a constant you that remains regardless of the hat that you wear? I would say yes. It's what makes your core identity. I've got to tell you something. Uh, I led a guy to Christ a while ago and, and he wasn't getting it. If you know what I mean? He was um, pretty much a selfish person most of his life. And um, I asked him one day how it's going. He said, man, I'm having trouble. And I said, what do you mean? He said, I, I, I can't be selfish. I get miserable. And I said, God's trying to change you that your will is no longer yours. When you come to Jesus, we say, Thy will be done, not mine. We say it in the Lord's Prayer. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We don't go, uh, mine. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane prayed to the Father. Thy will be done, not mine. But He wanted the cup to pass from His hand. So, I saw this guy and he was talking to a guy and it was in unfriendly terms and being very, um, shall we say, old man thinking. Trying to run the other guy's life, trying to tell him what to do, telling him that he's going to do it his way and he, and he doesn't have any say in it. There was no compassion for the guy who was struggling. And so I asked him about that and he said, you know, I've come to Jesus and now I don't know who I am anymore. You ever been there? Had to learn a new identity? I hope so. Let me break this down a little further. If you were to answer this question, who are you? What would you say? Most answer with one of the hats. I'm a dad. I'm a man. I'm a husband. I'm a preacher. What do you say when people ask you, who are you? Do you pull out one of the hats and think it's the hat they want to hear the answer to? I got lots of those hats. I can pull it out at any time and say, this is me right here. You'll like this. <laughs> Because I'm trying to get folks to like my hat that I'm wearing as who I am. But the first time that I ever got unnerved and someone asked me that question, the guy says, who are you? And I said, well, I'm a student at this school. And he goes, not what are you, who are you? And I said, well, you know, I'm, I'm, my, my, I'm the son of my parents. He goes, not who, who gave birth to you, who are you? And he kept drilling down all my questions were about roles I was playing. And finally I said, I'm not real sure. I don't know. And he said, at least now you know you don't know and you're not what you wear or your hat that you role play that you're doing. You are not what you do. For example, and I'll, I'll prove to you real simply 
how you can tell that you are not what you do. If you say, for example, well, I'm an insurance salesman. One day, if you leave that job, are you still an insurance salesperson? You are not. But you said that's who you were. So have you lost your identity because you're no longer selling insurance? Are you no longer you? No. There's something under that that's you still. You haven't disappeared. You have a different understanding of what your life is about. In that moment, you begin to understand that you are not what you do. I may be a parent, but one day my kids won't be around. And I'm a son, but my parents aren't here anymore to be a son too. So if you ask me who I am, I can say I'm my father's son, but my father's not here anymore. So I don't have to act like a son for him because he's not here. So all these different things that we think we are, God has come to challenge. Some people say when they ask, who are you? They say, I'm a Christian. Most people will say, not what do you believe, who are you? How do you answer it? Maybe you might say, oh, I'm just who I am. Just me. It's kind of like Popeye theology we talked about. I am who I am and that's all I'll ever be. That's me. With no chance for growth or change, I'll always be the same. I don't believe that, and I don't think you do either. I think you're growing and learning every single day. Who are you when nobody is around or looking? When you don't have to impress anybody, and nobody knows what you're doing. What hat do you wear then? Oh, I'm the all alone hat now. You don't need a hat to be alone, you just be you. But what, what is that? Again, who are you? Can you let go of the roles you play and just be you? Can you? Many people cannot. In their codependency, they have to be doing something in a role because they're so uncomfortable being who they are because they don't know who they are. It can be uncomfortable for you to be you. You may not like it. But then again, you may not even know who you are. I had that realization. So, when someone asked me that question at school one day, I said, I don't know. I didn't. It took me eight months of that school year to get an answer. My answer at the end of that school year was life changing. It changed who I was as a person. My understanding of who I am and what I am and what I'm all about. And that answer is still true today. I have to tell you that you, when you belong to Jesus Christ, are not who you think you are. The moment you belong to Jesus, you're not who you think you are. And I, I say this with all sincerity. It's not a bad thing. 
Because when Jesus Christ changes you and comes in, you don't know what that's like because the physical flesh can't know. It is a spiritual being you become that the flesh does not understand and cannot understand. And the flesh and spirit begin to wage a war at that moment. It says in the Scripture, the spirit lusts after the flesh and the flesh lusts after the spirit. That the one or the other would reign supreme. So, like that guy who I led to Christ, he's got the spirit going, and now the flesh, and now the spirit saying, I'm uncomfortable being who I used to be, but the flesh is going, but this is all I know how to be. Didn't know how to change because he lived in a, in a society, in a background, in, a, in an environment, in his family, that they all were just um, alcoholics, drug addicts, steal, jail time. All this was considered normal. Looking out for yourself was considered the way to be. Doing what you want to do, whatever you want to do it, was his only way he knew how to do things. When he started doing it, all of a sudden it felt weird. But he didn't know why. He said, ever since I came to Jesus, I got miserable. No, you didn't get miserable. Your old self got miserable. Now you got to kick him out. And that's what we're going to talk about a little bit today is understanding who the new self is. Our identity has completely changed in Jesus Christ. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 and 18, on the screen it says, If anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. Old things are gone. They passed away. Everything has become new. That means you don't know what it is. All things are of God and He reconciled us to Himself through Jesus Christ and He's given us the same ministry. Which means if we're reconciled to Jesus Christ, that we have a partnership with Him. The rest of this chapter, which I don't have on the screen for you, says we are now ambassadors, making friends with others for God and reconciling the world to Jesus Christ. And that's a powerful, powerful thing, but we read this way too fast. I love this verse but in 17 and 18 because it says all things are brand new. You're a new creation. But we don't think so. Because our mind is still the same. Our memories are still the same. And who we thought we were is still the same. So we have to learn, and that's the word, learn who we are in Jesus Christ. Because we're not the same. If Jesus Christ is who He says He is, then what He does in you changes you completely forever. Amen. You're not the same person. You are brand new and you just don't know what it's like because you've never been brand new. So how can you know, right? And so the Scriptures tell us this very clearly, that we are not who we think we are. And we are not who we think we were. We are who Jesus says we are. Most of us find this an unfamiliar thing. Like I said, we're used to old roles, hats, mindsets. We live, out, we live out what we're used to because we haven't changed the script in our head. The roles that we play are everybody's part around us in the script and play, if you will, of our life. And I think Shakespeare was correct when he said, all the world is a stage 
and the men and women are merely players. The question is, is your hat the star role, or is it who you are in Christ? Amen. It's a tough question, and we're going to get to that answer. In 1 Corinthians, I don't have this one for you on the board, but in chapter 6, verse 15, it says a couple of things. And I want to turn to this because I don't want you to miss these nuggets. I think you'll find that these three verses I share with you now are the beginning platform of a transformed life. I don't know how else to say that. It says... Do you not know that your body is the member of Christ? That's the first thing he says. Do you not know your body is a member of the body of Christ, of Jesus? You are a part of Him. When you belong to Jesus, we we say it all the time, we are a part of the body of Christ. The church is the body of Christ. You are a member of the body of Jesus Christ. How does Jesus act? Well, you know, He he walks on water, He heals, He prays to the Father, and He listens, and He can raise the dead. It's not what I'm asking. How does the body of Jesus Christ act today? What does it do? How do you know it's the body of Christ? He goes on to say in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Something that we need to hear and we need to remember this. And if we forget it, we're in trouble because we go backward. And it's this in verse 19. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? You are not your own. You do not own your body. Jesus does. The body is a house of the temple of the Holy Spirit now. You are not your own. You belong to Jesus. And we start to say, but I don't feel like going to church. It doesn't matter how you feel. The body of Christ gathers together regardless of how they feel. Jesus went to the temple. Jesus worshipped. Jesus prayed. Jesus learned. He spent time with the Heavenly Father. He went to the cross when He did not want to. I mentioned the Garden of Gethsemane earlier when He said, Not my will, but thine. He was asking God to take away the cup of crucifixion away from Him. He did not want to do it. But the Father said, You are not your own. You are my Son. You are under submission to the will of the Father. And Jesus says, you're right. Not my will be done, but yours. Do you think it was a good idea for Him to do it in terms of His own physical feelings? If it was based on it was a good idea and would have felt wonderful, He would not have done it. He did not do it because He wanted to feel pain. The Passion of the Christ movie was not Jesus going, yeah, I love this. He's going, this hurts. God, Father, this hurts. But I'm doing it because you told me to. Not because I want to. But because I'm willing to be a member of who you are. 
His mind was not the mind of a fleshly based person, but a spiritually minded, heavenly Father focused creature living in a physical body. The physical body was passing away, and it did. But his eternal body will go on. What I'm saying is your body is not your own. One day you're going to vanquish it. That means you're going to be out of it. You're not going to need it anymore. And thank God someone's going to go, man, give me a new one now. I need this to go wore out. <laughs> it's a no work ride. But I'm saying you're not your body. So if your body is telling you what's right and wrong for you, your body's not going to be yours eternally, so it's going to be a part-time judge and jury of whether or not something's right for you. And it doesn't understand eternal things. Paul says he subjects his body. So you're not your own. And in verse 20 in that same chapter, he says, for you were bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. I'm going to read that again. You were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which belong to God. Your body and your spirit belong to God. Oh, no, no, it's mine. I can do what I want. I don't have to believe there's a God. I'm telling you, every knee shall bow and every tongue will finally confess, oh my gosh, He really is Jesus. I didn't believe Him on earth, but I see it now. And our minds need to start lining up with the truth about who we are. You are a member of Jesus Christ. You have His authority and power in this world, whether or not your old mindset understands that. When you speak, you speak the oracles of God when you walk in faith. Now you go, oh, no, 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 I don't. Scripture says you do. You certainly do. And I think that's great. But it means you better be careful what you say and while you're saying it, if you know what I mean. Like I said, the role, the hat role, has changed. When you take off the hat, let me tell you what's underneath when you belong to Jesus Christ. The shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the sword, the word of God, the feet, preparation of gospel peace, the breastplate of righteousness, belt of truth. You understand, you are the righteousness of God. When people see you, they see Jesus Christ. Oh no, you don't understand. I'm not. There's no way. You don't understand who you are if you don't understand this truth. When Jesus Christ is in you, that's what people see. But if you're blocking the flow of that because you don't think you are who you are, you're not going to let other people see that. You're going to act like you don't belong to Him because you don't think this is true of you. Your mind has said, this is who I am. Jesus says I'm this, but I'm really not because I'm not good enough. 
or I'm not worthy, or, or I'm not really that because God didn't say I was that. Not me. Couldn't have been me. Not sure because if God really meant that, then I would be doing that, but since I'm not doing that, God didn't mean it. People think like that. I don't know why, but I'll tell you this. There comes a time in your life when you begin to change the way you think when you interact with other people. I'll give you a simple example. In my secular job, I talk to a lot of employers. In the conversation with those employers, there's not a whole lot of conversation beyond a certain script that I generally pull out of my mind. Tell me about your business. What makes it good? What kind of positions do you have? Or do you have any openings? How, what's your hiring process? Do you accept felons? Do you accept people with, uh, with uh, disabilities? Do you have accommodations? All these are in the script, okay? Now, let's pretend, for example, that I can't change my script. And I come up here every Sunday and I preach the same sermon. So y'all, uh, I just wondered uh, what kind of work you do and uh, uh, do you have openings where you work and uh, I'm just trying to get some jobs for some people and you're going to go, what kind of sermon is that? <laughs> because the script that I use with an employer fits in this box with a role and an identity that I expect the employer to respect and they expect me to respect. It's defined. It is also true that there's a script and a role and an identity when you belong to Jesus Christ and it fits and it's in a box and it's defined. That is the one that should not be a hat, but an identity and core of who you are. So when you have a conversation out of your relationship with Jesus Christ, and you say, you know, I'm the voice and hands and feet of Jesus Christ, and you start talking to a neighbor you don't get along with, you start going, I, I want to go get mad. I want to go make things right my way. But that isn't in the strict. That's not your role. Your role is to be at peace. To be a peacemaker. To be one who offers forgiveness and reconciliation first. Whether the other person provides justice or not. So that new role you go there. You know, your dog was in my yard and tore stuff up and I just want you to know I like you. You can't do that. You have to say, hey, I'm glad you're my neighbor and I've been praying for you. I was wondering if there's a way where we can be better neighbors. What can I do to help your life be easier? Do you have trouble maybe with your pets or anything else that I can help you with? This is not the conversation you want to have in your flesh. You want to rip the dog's legs off and throw it back in the yard. You don't want to help the neighbor to see what kind of struggles he has because you don't care about that neighbor because he's let all this atrocity happen. But the script in your head is no longer the script you want to have. It's God's. Because you belong to Jesus Christ, you're the body of Christ walking over there in the presence of Jesus being Jesus Christ to this man, and you're looking for ways to reconcile him to God. There is no other conversation you need to have that has more priority. Let me tell you this. It's not your yard. 
It's not His dog. It all belongs to God. You're not your own. Your spirit, your body, your yard, it all belongs to God. It's not yours. Let go of that silly notion that you own things. Your kids are not your kids. They're God's children. You're responsible to take care of them for Him. But they're His. He gave them to you to parent. But you don't own them. Once you start to own your children, they will rebel. Try it. Verse on the board, we who has known the mind of the Lord that we can instruct Him. In other words, I can't tell Jesus what's right for me. But we, we, have the mind of Christ. The mind of Christ does not think about selfish interests. And the flesh is going to go, but, but, but you don't understand. I've got to take care of this and this and this. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about selfish interests. 1 Corinthians 3.16 Do you not know that you are the temple of God and the Spirit of God dwells in you? You are the body of Christ with the Spirit in. You have the mind of Christ. That means your thinking and who you are and identity-wise has to change. My wife loves it when I hug her. I love when I hug her. I love kissing my wife. We've been sick a while, so we've been missing some kisses until recently, so we're still trying to make up for lost time. But I promise you, if I was healthy and she was still sick, my wife would be very upset if I had that same role with somebody else. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, but honey, I'm thinking she's you. It's okay. I got the honey hat on. It doesn't work, does it? Because it's a different role. There's exclusivity. There is mutuality. So it is with the relationship with Jesus Christ. He's not going to say, okay, you can have what you want with me and then go have it your way over there, Burger King. <laughs> Paul says, food for the stomach, stomach for the food. He doesn't say that your stomach runs your life. <laughs> But I'm hungry. <laughs> I gotta eat. Life is more than food. That's right. Man should not live by bread alone, said Jesus to the devil who was tending him to eat when he was hungry. He said, You live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Do not tempt me to be ahead of that with my body. Don't let your flesh run your spirit life. It will run you into the ground. That's why I said you have the mind of Christ. You can change the way you see yourself. You already are a new creation. Now you have the mind of Christ that can help you do that. You're not doing this by yourself. He will help you. Solomon asked for wisdom. The book of James says, ask for wisdom and God will give it. He's not saying He'll make you pass this uh, uh, IQ test, but He'll give you wisdom, not knowledge. The question comes to my mind, what exactly is a Christian and how do they behave, think, and act? We all have different notions of that. There's (laughs) non-believers. You ever heard this? 
You ain't acting like a Christian. You ever heard that from a non-believer? That's not a very Christian thing to say. I've heard that from a lot of non-believers. People who know that I'm a believer. They go, I can't believe you did that. What kind of Christian are you? Well, what kind of non-believer are you? My whole statement is, how does a Christian believe, think, and act? A non-Christian will not know. Your flesh does not know. Your old ways of thinking do not know. It even says that those who are filled with the Spirit are led by the Spirit. And that means the Spirit of God. Not the Spirit of self. And I I really think that that's the distinction we need to think about. Isn't Christianity something that we just let Jesus lead us and we don't have to do a thing? Isn't that what it is? Some people think that. Is that how you see it? Do you have to do anything? Scripture says we're not saved by what we do. That's the only thing it says about works and righteousness. It does say, however, that there is responsibility on our part. In Mark 10.21, it gives us a good example. He was talking to this rich young ruler. He said, what can I do to inherit eternal life? Very wealthy. And he says to him, looking at him, loved him, and said to him, one thing you lack, go your way, sell whatever you got, and give it to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven, and come... <coughs> Take up your cross and follow me. Do you hear what he told this rich young ruler? Sell all that you got. Give it to the poor. That's going to put your treasure in heaven rather than on earth. Then take up your cross and follow me. But does Jesus say, Oh no, I'll just do it for you. I'm going to work and just let me lead you. Or does he say, you got to do something here. You've got to change your old way of identifying with your value. What matters to you? He also says in Matthew 16, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself. I didn't read the next part because we, we want to go to that next part before we read that. Let him deny himself. Let him deny himself means your physical body in this world around you does not dictate your identity. You must deny yourself. Until then, and and this is how Jesus says it, until you let go of the trappings of this world, you're not going to be able to follow Him because you got another thing that keeps being weighed in in your life. I don't think you know how tragic that can be. But we have to learn what our cross is, don't we? It isn't the cross Jesus bore. Mother Teresa's cross, we know what that was. Caring for those sick folks and loving on them and giving them strength and courage. We know what the gift of Fanny Crosby was. Writing hymns. That was her cross. The cross is what you do for the kingdom of God that bears fruit. That changes lives. What is your cross? You need to know. You have to 
and, but the problem is, is you can't do it with one hand. You have to have two hands to carry it. So you have to drop everything else to do that. And that's risky. Some people have left everything behind to do missionary work. And I'm not suggesting that. But whatever it is that God gives you to do, do it with all you are. All you are. All your resources. Put it into it. God will bless you for that and He will show you that you've made the right choice. You think that uh, we have some responsibility in Matthew 9. Jesus is talking about the harvest being plentiful, but laborers are few. Let me ask you farmers in here a real quick question. If the crops stay in the field and nobody picks them, what happens to them? What happens if they don't pick the crop? What happens to them? You're going to lose the crop, right? So he says, the harvest is plentiful, but there's nobody to pick the crop. This is panic time in Barb City. If you don't have anybody to pick your crop that's going to die there, there's no profit. No fruit for the work and the labor and the time. So he says, pray to the Lord of the harvest and send laborers. This is what he's telling his disciples. Pray to the Lord to send laborers into the vineyard. Now, I don't know about you, but let's try this prayer. You ready? Lord, there's a harvest out there and you need to send somebody. Um, God, I'm sure you won't ask me because I don't want to go. That's hard work, God. And I don't want to do that. So send somebody else. And God's going, did you say not my will done but thine? Or did you say your will but not mine? (laughs) So if you're praying to the Lord to get some work done, He's going to ask you. He will raise others up. But He's going to ask you to see if you're willing. If you really, really care about His harvest. Listen to me. If you don't care about God's harvest and you pray for it, He said to you, you know, I don't care about the harvest. What I want is more important to God than your harvest. You can't have that mind and have the mind of Christ. That is not your identity in Jesus Christ to tell God His harvest isn't as important as what you want. Is there more to the picture than just praying for laborers and going to the harvest? Yeah. There's a whole lot more. Let's look at the Scriptures. The text for today. In Luke 13, we talked about how she... uh, was struggling for 18 years. 18 years. <coughs> On the Sabbath day, comes to the temple, and Jesus heals her on the Sabbath. And the temple leader says, now listen, listen to his identity, okay? His job, his role at this moment, is I'm a temple leader, the rules are the rules. We fit in this box. If you break the rules, I've got to enforce them because I'm the temple leader. Our identity in, in those roles offers no room for grace. I've got to do these things and fit in this box. And Jesus heals this person 
And Jesus has to say, think of it, she's a daughter of Abraham. Think of it, what better day than the Sabbath for her to be healed. And it says, the temple leader and all his adversaries are shamed by the lack of grace. Because rather than living out the grace of God, they got stuck in rules and regulations. God has come to give us grace and a mind of grace and peace and freedom to love no matter what. I would be ashamed of putting rules ahead of grace too. And I've done it. It's time for you and I to lose our shame. To be people of grace. In the book of Romans chapter 1, verse 16, we find, I'm not ashamed of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. This is your mindset. Okay? New, new mind in Christ. I'm not ashamed of the Gospel. It is the power of God to salvation for everybody. Not just some people, but everybody. Even that neighbor I can't stand. With the dog who keeps tearing stuff up. No one's told me that this is happening. So if it's true, well, there you go. For all people, it is the power of God. This is my mindset. I'm not ashamed of this because it's going to heal the world. It will change you because I know it changed me. If it didn't change you, it's going to be real hard to talk about. But Romans also talks about this shame in another way. In chapter 5, verse 5, And hope does not make us ashamed because the love of God is in our hearts. So when you begin to love one another and others the way God has directed us to, it gives us a hope that there can be change in this world. And the love of God, when we're not ashamed of that, shines in our hearts. And Paul goes on to say later in Romans, for the Scripture says, whoever believes on Jesus will not be put to shame. You will have no shame for believing and speaking the truth of Jesus Christ. Others may shame you in this world, but that's because they do not understand God or grace or faith or love from a pure and undefiled heart. They don't understand that. They can't understand that. Our identity is who Jesus says we are. We have a new role. Not a hat. But a foundational change in the way we think. It has to change. We must know. This is, a, this is an important statement. I hope you don't miss this. Because of all else I say, this statement when I said it to myself, it made all the difference. We must know that it is inappropriate for a Christian to be ashamed or embarrassed to tell others about Jesus. We should be embarrassed and ashamed when we don't. Your role in Jesus Christ is to offer the salvation. First and foremost, that's your identity. Nothing else comes ahead of that. Nothing. The disciples of Jesus were ate nothing all day 
to preach the gospel and heal. And then he fed 5,000. <laughs> because they were hungry. Makes sense. But Jesus took care of it, didn't he? Jesus knows what you need. A few verses that talk about this. In James 1.25 it says, Be a doer of the Word and not just a hearer. Because if you look into it and continue in the law of God and continue to keep the mindset and keep that identity going forward in your conversations with everybody you meet, you will not be a forgetful hearer. You will be blessed and a doer. But you can only be successful in this after the relationship with Jesus Christ has begun. In Philippians chapter 3, it talks about forget what's behind. Press forward what's ahead. Very important to know that our old identity no longer matters. We press toward the new goal, the prize of the upward call to God in Jesus Christ. It is a new call. And here's what Paul says after that. As many of us who are mature in the same mind, that I press on toward the goal of Jesus Christ and forgetting everything else that came before. This is revolutionary, folks. It will revolutionize your life if it hasn't already. A lot of us go, well, I've heard, you know, we're supposed to think like Jesus. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about when you go into a conversation with anybody, you know what you're going to say in the name of Jesus. That you're ready to speak it and you're ready to carry that role out regardless of what the other person does or says. You can't do that if you don't have it in you. In Luke 12, here's why. It says we're precious to God. Five sparrows are sold for coins and not one of them God forgets. Listen to this. The very hairs of your head are unlimited. I used to read this verse and say, well, you know, that's the DNA and all this, but listen, God loves you so much, He knows about every hair on your head. He loves you that much. That kind of relationship is a relationship He desires for you. That intimate. That close. This is what God has loved you with an everlasting love to transform you into His own. The next verse following that says, in verse 8, I think I have it for you. For whoever confesses me before man, the Son of Man also will confess before the angels of God. Know who you are. I'll say it again, know who you are. Last verse, Mark 5. I want to close with this. This is important. It's about the woman with the issue of blood. Twelve years. Not 18 like the first one we started with. Twelve years. And she spent all she had and got worse. The world can't help her anymore. She's got no more resources than the doctors can't do anything. And she begins to think to herself, if I could just touch the hem of Jesus' garment, maybe I could heal. But with an issue of blood, she's unclean. Only I touch the hem of this garment, I'll be made well. She crawls through the crowd, touches the hem of his garment, and she's immediately healed. By law, 
in the box. An unclean woman touches a man, she must be stoned. Killed. Dead. Do you get this? If you're in the wrong box, you're going to do some awful, atrocious things because you think it's right. And Jesus said, Who touched me? And the woman with issue of blood knows she's now going to be probably stoned to death because he knows what's happened. And she comes and confesses and tells him the whole story. Twelve years. And I heard maybe. Get this mindset into your mind. That if you got to kill me, at least I died healed. I got no other hope. And if you can't help me, I'll die. I'd rather be dead than not serve you, Jesus. If you don't have the answers, I got nothing. What I tried don't work. I only want you and you alone. I'm pressing through the crowd. I don't care if anybody else touches me. All I care about is I touch Jesus and find out He is who He says He is. And then He'll heal me and make me a new creation. And when He does, I'm going to tell everybody what He did for me. But first, I'm going to thank Him. Amen. And so He says, I, I press through the crowd. And the disciples say, well, how do you say who touched me? Look at the crowd. But she tells in the verses ahead. And listen to what he says to her. He looks around to see her. And he says this. This is the verse. You need to hear this. I hope you're in the right context. Your faith made you well. It wasn't what you did. It wasn't what you thought or what you've done in the past or what you possess or what you own. Your faith has made you well. So be in peace and heal your affliction of trying to make your body and spirit your own. It's an affliction this world keeps trying to press on you. If you don't know how to do it and now is the first time you've learned, guess what? The name of this sermon is Start. Mm-hmm. Amen. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, sometimes we just got to have the courage to say, you know, I've tried everything else and you know, you, you're you the only hope I got left and I don't even know if that'll work, but I'm, I'm trusting you all the way and, 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 and like the woman, God, uh, if, if, it, if it kills me, I'm going to do it. If I have to die, at least I'll die knowing I tried everything. And the one who created it all, who said he could do it, I'll trust Him, finally. Heavenly Father, may we not look for other answers any longer. May our identity be anything only in You and nothing else. That our interactions and our love will be complete in You. Heavenly Father, if we've never known how to do this, I ask today that this be the day that we start. And going forward, we see Your plans for us have been prosperous and useful in the future. The woman did not get stoned. She got up and walked and followed Jesus on the way. Heavenly Father, may we never forget, you're not going to reject us. You're going to restore us and heal us. You've come to set the captives free and announce liberty to the oppressed. That's us. That's us. 
Miss everybody around us we meet. May we never forget that. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.